Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where fine is a four-letter word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Today, I'm eager to introduce you to Stephanie Joy Muscat. She's the founder and CEO of Bavara, a consultancy firm that specializes in helping mission-driven organizations reach their full potential by implementing best business practices. Stephanie started her first museum at just six years old. I don't know what you were doing at six, but I certainly wasn't starting businesses yet. From that point on, she worked in museums or similar spaces. When Stephanie's roles as a museum director and parent felt incompatible, she built her own business from the ground up to meet her needs. Though her life was fine for a while, she eventually realized she'd created a business she now resented. She decided to shut it down and took a dream job in another state. That move gave her the opportunity to take a different type of sabbatical than you've heard about on previous shows. In this episode, you'll hear how her sabbatical time changed her perspective and allowed her to pursue personal interests and focus on all aspects of her health while continuing to get paid. If you think taking a sabbatical is out of reach or impractical, this one's for you. Listen to hear the fascinating story behind Bavara's name and logo, which is deeply rooted in an old Norse legend and serves as a nod to Stephanie's Swedish ancestry. Join me as we dive into Stephanie's story of how taking a step away allowed her to move from panic attacks, resentment, and autopilot to recharged, grounded, and a sense of home. Of course, you can go to zenrabbit.com to get your copy of the short guide to working less and living better, also known as the five easy ways to start living a sabbatical life. You know what else you can get there? The newly revised and released How to Feel Comfortable, Confident, and Courageous at Networking Events book. Look for the link that says networking at the top of the homepage or find the link in the show notes. Hello, and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Stephanie Joy Muscat. Welcome to the show. Good morning or good afternoon, Lori. (laughs) Yes, or whatever time it is, wherever you are. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I'm so so excited to have this conversation with you. And um, one of the things that I do want to remember to get into, although not right at this second, is is the logo for your um, for your company because I cool. love that story and it's so cool and I just want all of my listeners to hear it too. So absolutely, but we'll, we'll get there. The we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we love yes, about ravens. Yep. Yes. 
Yeah, very cool. All right, so, but first, let's start with uh, at the beginning, which is what were the values and beliefs that you were raised with that contributed to you becoming who you who you became as especially as a young adult? I was raised with the value of giving back to the community. My father was in the government and nonprofit sectors. And I think he was probably the greatest influence on the young adult that I became. I watched him lead these organizations and make changes and have a positive impact where we were living. And he also took me to lots of museums, lots of battlefields, lots of castles, lots of fortifications. If it had something to do with history, he took me there. He actually had written a book about Michelangelo's fortifications uh, that was published, I think, when he was in his 20s. So that love of history and culture and that dedication to giving back really were core values that I think led to the young adult that I became and eventually me landing in the nonprofit world that I landed in. Yeah. So so were you uh, volunteering for organizations as a kid? I was. Actually, the very first museum I ever volunteered for was the Denos Museum Center, which is still in Traverse City, Michigan. And I was maybe 14, 15, and I was volunteering at the front desk. Everybody, all the other volunteers were like over 75. So I really stood out on the front desk. Uh (laughs) And at that time, I had an algebra teacher who was collecting Inuit art for the museum. And it was the only algebra teacher that actually did any well with because uh, because we spent most of our time talking about Inuit art and then a little bit about algebra. So I actually got a good grade in that class, which was unusual for me in algebra. <laughs> but but that that really um, continued and sparked my love of museums. It also sparked a love of Inuit art. I now have my own collection of of Inuit art, and every time I'm in in Quebec or Iceland or Greenland or further north than Maine, I I typically will pick up a piece. So. Um, that was another milestone, that experience. And I was there from all four years of high school. And then when I went off to college at Michigan State, I volunteered at the Michigan State University Museum, which then later became my first job. So um, from a very young age, I've always been um, volunteering. I actually created my first museum when I was um, five, I think it was, five or six. We were living in what? And I, we had vi- we had visited a museum and I had seen that they were putting numbers on objects. And I didn't know what a curator was. I didn't know what accession numbers were. I just saw that they were numbers. So I took a magic marker and wrote numbers in my five-year-old hand on the bottom of some of my mother's most expensive and precious Scottish antiques. And then charged my oh, friends to my museum. So I devalued some of the fields. <laughs> Like, oh geez. antiques, but it was my very first a museum. And I took my, I think I made maybe $3 and I took it to 7-Eleven and put it in their little uh, donation container. And, yeah. and so even at five, I, I somehow knew that a museum had value and shouldn't be free. So if I had put this together, <laughs> folks, folks wow. would pay an admission to go. So it has just been ingrained in me for as forever. I it's just it's it's part of my pulse. It's part of my soul. All right. So I have to ask now: Did your mom get mad at you for doing that? Initially, uh, my parents were mad, but then they couldn't help but just think that that it was cute. And um, and, yeah. and, and my father, being such the history buff that he was, he just he just loved it. And I think he probably gave me the most quarters to, for the most tours. So. <laughs> 
That is hilarious. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yep. That's, that's how such a great it all, story. all began. <laughs> that's how it all began. And then how did it, how did it proceed? So did you, did you start out working? So you said your first job was at a museum mm-hmm. and then were your, were all of your jobs at a museum or did you end up in corporate at some point? I didn't end up in corporate at any point. So all my jobs were in museums or similar places. I was at the MSU Museum. I was at the Ipswich Museums. I was at the New England Aquarium. Um, all of all of my work had been in the museum field. And then I opened up my own business in 2004. I had been a museum director. I had a little baby girl um, who's now 23. And mm. uh, I wanted to be a mom, but wanted to work as well. And the demands of my board of a being, uh, being a director were just not in congruence with being a mom. And so I took the leap at like 30 years old, uh, to start my own business. And I didn't have a business plan. I did all the things that you were not supposed to do. I had no business plan. I had really no idea where my first client was going to come from. I didn't even know what the services were going to be. I just jumped in and went to a New England Museum Association conference and started talking to people. You know, what do you need? I can I can do that. So I just, mm. that's how it you all know, well, started. So I, I wanna I wanna touch on that for a second because you didn't have anything that you're supposed to have. Yep. And but who makes up these rules that, is that this true. is what you're supposed yep. to do? Because you created a successful business without mm-hmm. the things that most people would say you need to start a successful business. And I kind of did the same thing when I started mine, but like, you don't really need a business plan unless you're going to a bank to get financing. I agree. Like you need some kind of clarity around what you'd like to do. Mm -hmm. But I think people get hung up on, well, I don't have all the things. Absolutely. And I I just wanted to stop here for a second to say, like, if you're thinking of starting your own business or doing anything, it doesn't have to be a business. Think about what do I really need? I completely agree. And I- Versus what people tell me I need. Yeah. Exactly. And I I use myself as an example. I, I taught business to college students, and I know that it wasn't the standard business professor- Line to say, you know what? Some of the stuff you're not going to need, uh, mm-hmm. because, uh, because I do think I've seen this with entrepreneurs, and I've seen this with people starting nonprofits. They get stuck around. We have to have this done. We have to check all these boxes, and they get frozen in this place mm-hmm. where they can't move forward because they're trying to check all these boxes. And sometimes you just need to start, and it's a messy start, and that's okay. You just have to start. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly it. And get some forward action. And then you adjust. It was somebody who was explaining it to me about like when you're in a car and you put where you want to go on in the GPS until you start moving, it can't adjust. Exactly. That's a great analogy. As long as you're sitting in the, in the driveway or in the parking space, nothing can happen. Right. Right. You actually <laughs> and have it can't to tell you. move the car yeah. before it actually kicks in. And, and that I think is so, so true. I mean, you, and, and so many people are just stuck at the steering wheel waiting for it to say something. And it's not going to say something until you get your foot off yeah. the gas and, and take that step. And actually some of the messiest starts that I've seen with businesses and nonprofits have been the most successful because they did just dive in and, and you can adjust. And once you know what you want to be, then you can 
slowly start to build in some, you know, build in some strategic planning and business planning and, and start thinking, you know, about other things, but just, just start, just, just, yeah. just I get out there and you have to become comfortable with the discomfort because there's going to be so much discomfort when you start a business, when you start a nonprofit. And I think people freeze and want to check all these boxes because they somehow think it's going to make it more comfortable, but it's not. Right. Even if you have all those boxes checked, being an entrepreneur is never going to be comfortable. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and especially new entrepreneurs don't understand that. Yeah. That that's what's going, that's how it's going to be. It's not right. like, um, that there's a clear path. Exactly. And if you, like you said, if you have all the boxes checked, then it's going to be smooth sailing. No, no. it never is. And, no, and I, when we say that, we're not saying that to discourage anybody, no, just no, to, no, no. to prepare you to be like, okay, this is, this is what it is. You're, you're, yeah. This is the ride and it's yep. more fun than you can imagine. And mm-hmm. it's crazier than you can imagine. It is. And, and I had, oh. I signed my first client with, I only had a company name. I had done a DBA at, at the local town hall. Didn't really have a logo, just a, just a company name. And I signed my first client. And while I was working with that client, I started to figure out, okay, this is what I know how to do. This is what Bavera can do well. So I took that first client and figured out, okay, these are going to be the services. And then I started marketing based on the success of that first client. And so really it's, I, I want to encourage folks who, who are thinking about becoming, um, an entrepreneur, just, just to step into it. You, you don't even have to have, have a business name, work on a project, volunteer on a project, see if it's a good fit, but just, you know, just start and get that forward a momentum and don't think you have to have everything beautifully written in this 20 page business plan. Like you said, that's great for funding and uh, angel investors, but for most entrepreneurs, it's uh, get that first client and, and evolve from there. Yes. Yeah. Such good advice. So your, your business actually exploded. It did. (laughs) So I was expecting it to be just this little kitchen table venture. Um, and it exploded and in between 2004 and 2018, um, it grew substantially and, um, it grew to have a staff. It grew to have clients in the U S Canada, Europe, and China. And, uh, I was traveling quite a bit. Um, and I would just take my daughter with me. Um, my husband was also commuting overseas. So I started getting clients where he was going so that I, so that our family could travel together. Um, and it, it just, it, it became a business and, and becoming a, a business, uh, rather than, uh, being an independent contractor. Those, those were two different things to me. And one day I woke up and, oh my goodness, there were, I was, I was running a staff and managing a business and doing all these things that I never imagined that I would. I thought I I would just be literally at the kitchen table working on projects for clients until my daughter maybe graduated high school. Uh, that Mm -hmm. was the initial thought back in 2004, but all of that, but the universe had other plans. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, well, since the show is called fine is a four letter word, you got to a point where everything was not fine. (laughs) Everything was not fine. Oh my word. Fine is such, oh, I was in 2018 in January of 2018. I hit a brick wall going about a thousand miles an hour and had this awakening. And it was actually one of my college students who kind of pushed me in, into that wall. I was teaching 
um, a course, and we were having some conversation, and one of my college students said, Professor Muscat, what would you do if you didn't own Bavera? And I had never thought of that. By 2018, um, I had begrudgingly uh, decided that Bavera would probably be the only job that I have. I had been telling everybody that I feel fine. I was really falling out and falling out of love with my business, but I didn't want to admit it because this is something that I had created. It was like another child and no parent wants to say that they don't love their child. Right. And it becomes your identity. It does. It does. There was no clear, healthy boundary between myself and Bavera. And there was, and I didn't realize until I took a sabbatical and looking back now, how much resentment I, I, I had for a Bavera. Um, and, and, it, and I was just on autopilot. I was, uh, taking on everybody who wanted to work with us. I said yes to, I was, um, adapting our services so that it was all about the bottom line. How much money can we get? Um, and I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And when the student asked me this, I stopped dead in my tracks because I had never thought for from 2004 to 2018, the thought had never crossed my mind about what would I do if I didn't work at Bavera. And I, I thought about it and I said, well, I would probably go back to where it, where it all started, which is uh, sociocultural anthropology. And, um, and that's where I began my a career doing work with some native tribes out in the Southwest. That's what I studied. Um, that's what I had the, the work in Bavera that I loved the most is when we worked with various tribes on traditional life ways. So I said, well, that's, that's what I would do. And, um, and then I gave my class an assignment cause I was just completely, completely rattled. I just, I was just totally rattled by that. And <laughs> yeah, I, wait, 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 that's an option. Yeah. That, like, really, I, I, I can, never considered that that could even be <laughs> a possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I can walk away <laughs> from something that I created and that for me just wasn't computing. Cause I just had felt like, um, I was in this bad marriage with, <laughs> with mm-hmm. my company. Um, and that I couldn't, you know, slightly emotionally abusive between the two of us that I couldn't get out of. Um, well, it's funny that you say that because that actually, and some of my listeners might've heard me say this before, but when I had my first business, and I was in a similar situation, not, it wasn't um, exploding and creating tons of revenue. It was mm-hmm. actually a little bit the opposite. I wasn't able to scale it the, one, the way I had intended. And a friend said to me, this is like watching you in an abusive relationship. Okay. It is. It is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And other people outside of me tell me out, outside of the company now say, oh, we could all see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like somebody could have mentioned this to me back in But you probably wouldn't have so paid attention at the time. No, you I weren't ready. Have, I would have said, I am fine. Yeah. And everything is fine. Rivera's fine. I'm fine. We're all good. We're all fine. Because uh, <laughs> fine was my favorite word then. <laughs> and um, while the kids were doing an assignment, I opened up my laptop and there was a headhunter who was looking for somebody to create an Indian market as director of advancement at the Abbey Museum, which is dedicated to the Native American communities here in Maine. And I just got all these butterflies. And it was the mm. first time that I had had that kind of professional butterflies before. And I said, well, I'll, this looks in, um, interesting. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll respond. I'll send in my resume. And 
after that, I started getting a whole bunch of other recruiters asking about other positions and started doing interviews. And I didn't even know what exactly I was doing. I just sort of um, subconsciously just knew that I needed a change, but consciously wasn't quite admitting it yet. So I was just going through all these motions. Um, I ended up getting a few job offers and took the one in Maine, which is where I am now on um, mm-hmm. Mount Desert Island in, in Maine, and worked for a couple of years setting up the Abbey Museum Indian Market, which became an award-winning uh, Indian market for Bar Harbor here, here in Maine. And it wasn't until I had completed that experience that I realized it was just the sabbatical that I needed. And I know it's an unconventional sabbatical because I went and worked and did something else. Uh, yeah. But for me, it was, it was just what I needed um, at that time. Allow me a quick moment to thank you for tuning in to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second to hit the follow button so you don't miss an episode. And if you haven't already, I'd love it if you would leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Your feedback helps the show reach more listeners like you. Fine is a Four-Letter Word is available on all major podcasting platforms. So no matter where you listen, you can stay up to date with the latest episodes. Now let's get back into the conversation. It's amazing to me. I mean, really awe, like just awe is the best word I can use here in how the universe works. That Mm -hmm. that question was posed to you. The opportunity showed up on your computer at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then how the event, like that started the ball rolling. It did. Yeah. Because, it because just, that happened in January and I, my first day here in Maine was May 1st. So it was a very fast uh, yeah. process. But, but even the instantaneous yes. of the question yes. was asked, you opened your computer yeah, and, and there, there is was. an opportunity. Yep. yep. And that is how it can work. It can work. And it often does. It and does. it's still awe-inspiring to me mm-hmm. how those events transpire. And then- Going to another point you just mentioned about taking kind of an unconventional sabbatical Mm -hmm. in that you were still working because a lot of the conversations we've been having about sabbaticals, this this segment season, whatever of the show Mm -hmm. is people are like, yeah, but I can't afford to do that. And that's not, you were still working and bringing an income, but it was kind of a sabbatical anyway, because why? It was a sabbatical because I took a break from Bavera and I focused on one activity that was something that I was passionate about. I also had a change of scenery, which mm. was for me very important. There were some jobs that were a little closer to where I lived in Massachusetts and I, I, I would have had similar results, but for me coming up to Maine, moving to the Island, having a change of scenery made a big difference. Um, and during my time creating Indian market, I, it gave me space because I wasn't 24-7 an entrepreneur. I, I wasn't living right. and breathing being, uh, being an entrepreneur. I had time to go hiking. I had time to reconnect to friends. I, I had time to have lunch with friends. I had time to really invest in um, lots of thinking, lots of just, just being and doing and, and not having the pressures of being an entrepreneur and having to make salaries for, uh, for individuals and, and having to, uh, to do all these things. And, and in that space, 
I, I started to realize what I was really most passionate about and really came to a recognition that I had fallen out of love with a Bavera. And I was able to say that out loud that, you know, it, it just, the, the last two or three years, our, our relationship wasn't working. It just, mm-hmm. it just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't healthy for, uh, for either of us. And, um, and it got me to a place where I was stronger mentally. I, I was having panic attacks when I, um, uh, started at, at the Abbey museum, those dissipated the, on uh, my level of stress came, came down. I was able until the pandemic hit able to do some, uh, personal travel and, and it just, the whole experience just decompressed me to a point where I could see clearly. And I think that's something very important in a sabbatical is that you give yourself time and space to take some of the fog out of your eyes, a sort of the fog of war when you're <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in the thick of uh, working and having that, that, that time and space and grace for yourself, uh, to, to recognize where you made mistakes and what you want to do differently, that, that that's an important component of a sabbatical. And, and I think it can be done working, you know, there, I, I see every day opportunities that are very project specific and, and I found something that was specific to my background. It was a specific project. I finished that project. Um, and so I was able to just focus on that one thing. And, uh, I think others, uh, can, could, could potentially find, find projects to do that themselves. Uh, if, if they can't, I certainly couldn't have afforded to take two years off. Uh, so, so having that income, even though it was a greatly reduced income from what I had at Rivera, having any income uh, during that time period was very helpful because we had a daughter going off to college. So <laughs> it was, it was yeah. helpful to have that. Yeah, absolutely. You just said that so beautifully about how a sabbatical, what a sabbatical really is, and it doesn't necessarily require not working and just yeah. sitting. It's that. Yeah creating that space for yourself, giving yourself, allowing yourself grace mm-hmm. and giving yourself the time and, and, um, what, I guess again, space yeah. to recharge. Yes. And, you know, by doing those things that bring you joy, hiking yes. and thinking and reading and whatever it is mm-hmm. that actually recharges your battery. The, the first thing I had to do at the start of the sabbatical was give myself permission to feel this way. Yes. And that was the hardest thing to overcome. And it took several months and some great coaches and some good therapy to, <laughs> to get to a point where I could give myself permission to, um, to really dig into how I was feeling, to, mm-hmm. to share it, to, um, that, uh, that I was worthy enough to be visible in, in how I was feeling in that moment during the sabbatical. And that was a huge growth opportunity for me. One that I wasn't expecting, uh, when I started working um, at the museum, but it, it, it led to comfort and a better understanding of who I am. It also led to better boundaries, uh, led to, uh, this, this velvet rope policy where I, I keep, uh, certain things on the other side of that rope now, mm-hmm. uh, and and just led to a very different person. Who then, when I came back to Bavera, Bavera was a very different company, and very very different company from when it was in 2018. But lots of that was I had given myself permission, really, to have my own back and and really focus yeah. on me, which was 
something that that took a little bit of time to get comfortable with. And and I think a lot of folks would uh, feel that way, that you just feel this discomfort when you start uh, looking inward. Of, yes, which is why so many people avoid it. I'm, yeah. Because it's not comfortable. <laughs> do it. And yet, if you would like to get to the other side to where things are way better, yep. you can't, You have to wade through that yucky stuff yes. in the middle. And I appreciate that you brought up that you worked with other people, that you had coaches, and whether it's a coach or a counselor or a therapist, or and, and th- all those people actually serve different yep. purposes, mm-hmm. but that it, it's not necessarily something that you could do or would like would want to do on your own again because it's uncomfortable and those mm-hmm. people can hold your hand and kick your ass at the same time exactly. whereas if you were doing it on your own you're like oh this doesn't feel good i'm not going to do it and you exactly. just step away yep and stay stuck in that rut mm-hmm. and the people around you will gladly help you stay in that rut because then it's that's where they they feel comfortable interacting yes. with you yep so, yep. so yeah, the, the second, the, the getting help, um, mm-hmm. for, you know, somebody to give you a hand up. Exactly. Finding, finding some container that you can be in that will support you and, uh, lift you up while you're doing mindset work. And yeah. that container can take a variety of shapes. I, I know for some of my friends, right. it's, it's, uh, yoga and their, yoga teacher, for some it's therapist, for some it's life coaches, for some it's human design. There's all sorts of different things out there, but whatever container feels most comfortable to you, that's that's important. And I think you made a good point that it can't always be your spouse and your friends because they because they're they get used to you in a certain way. And sometimes having difficult conversations, you don't always get necessarily the honest feedback from your spouse or you know, so right. And, right. It's not that they don't want to help you. Yes. They don't necessarily have the capacity exactly. to do it. They're too close. Exactly. So yep. They don't see your blind spots either, which is the right. whole reason for having, especially a coach yep. is that they can see your blind spots. They have a, a, a oh, man, what's the word I'm looking for? They, uh, they don't have a vet like, man, <laughs> words are evading me. <sighs> You know, when you see something without um, judgments or... They're they're more objective. Uh, that's the word. Thank you very much. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they can see it more objectively and therefore be more useful in their mm-hmm. recommendations. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, so you went through these years. You, you had that sabbatical time. You got the the chance to recharge and you went back to Bavera. I did, which kind of surprises me still to this day <laughs> that I went back to Bavera. So Bavera has been back now for 18 months. Um, and I came back and I knew it had to be different. I knew that if that, that, that if I was going to do this, it, it couldn't be the way it was before, um, because it had to be a healthy partnership. And so I, um, looked at our services and, um, I cut our services down to three core, core services. Um, I cut out, um, being a college professor. I, I enjoy teaching, but it, but it had run its course. I had done it for Mm. 13 years and, and it was something else that was eating up my time. And it was something else that was, um, 
you know, grading papers and everything that I, I had just grown, grown tired of it. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I gave that up and in, in, in reef configured Brevera so that it line, so it aligned with my core values. And I knew in particular that, um, that nonprofit planning and management, art, culture, and the creative economy and executive mentorship were the three areas that I was most passionate about. And where, if I looked back, those were the projects where I knew I brought the most value. And it was not only my knowledge that brought value, it was my excitement. Mm, right. And I looked back and looked at other projects. I was like, oh, you know, I, I just went through the motions. These, these weren't um, successful projects from my point of view. They were for the client. None of our clients knew I was thinking this um, pre, pre-2018. They thought it was yeah. all, all good, but I certainly wasn't enjoying myself. So I relaunched Pavera and I did it as a bit of a test. I was like, well, you know, I, I, I'm feeling this need to, uh, to go back. I, I, I started seeing ravens everywhere. <laughs> like, okay, I, I, I think I'm in a different head, a headspace now. I'm going to try this and I'm going to give it um, a year and see how this works. Can I do this differently? Because I wasn't 100% sure that I could do it differently. I knew I had changed, but I was afraid I'd just slip back into old habits. Right. Which is really easy to do. Once you get back in that same environment, it is, it's easy to fall back into it. Yeah. So I, I actually, um, it, it, I brought back Aleandra DeFeo who had worked with me from 2012 to 2018. And she was the only Rivera staffer who I wanted to bring back this go around because I knew she had the same company values, um, which is empathy, authenticity, really providing, a high level of, of service. And we actually, now one of the things which our clients talk about the most, which is interesting, is how Bavera creates a container for these nonprofits to undergo transformational change in their organization. And one of my clients said that to me recently. And then I realized that that is actually what I was doing with myself during the sabbatical and just this, this whole full circle um, chill came over me that, that, that I was able to use, um, my, my time, uh, away from a Bavera to gain some skills that I didn't have previous to that and, um, learn a lot about organizational change and working with individuals. I have very different conversations now when I do executive mentoring than I would have, um, pre 2018, much more empathetic, uh, much more, in, in a belief that organizations are made up of human beings and that nonprofits are living, breathing, or organic things with all these human beings. And all these human beings have different uh, knowledge and different skills and different talents and passions that they're bringing, but it's still a group of human beings. And whenever you get a group of human beings together, it, it can be sometimes difficult. And navigating that and letting nonprofit organizations navigate that in a way that allows them to grow and take advantage of the positive aspects of that is something that now we're really focused on. And that was something that really I hadn't thought about before my sabbatical. Yeah. So in a way, not in a way, essential to your current success, that sabbatical was essential it was. to your current success, not just to your, your, your mind, you know, getting your mind in the right place and uh, becoming healthier mm-hmm. physically, emotionally, mentally, all of those things, but for your business, for mm-hmm. your career, 
for your professional life, that sabbatical was essential, which is interesting because I I was talking, um, the conversation I had with Christina Langdon, which uh, published a few weeks ago, she was talking about the, um, that essential, that asking yourself the question instead of, I can't afford to take a sabbatical or how can I, like, it's not going to be possible to ask yourself the question more. What if you don't, what are you sacrificing if you don't? Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is a great example of maybe at the time you didn't know it, obviously at the time you didn't know it, but, but looking back, you would have sacrificed your success today. Absolutely. Yeah. And we actually, I, looking back at the 18 months, we had the best, uh, the best, uh, five fiscal quarters in, in Rivera's history. Mm. Interesting. Um, And yet you have your most relaxed running it now. Yep. Yep. And, and it's showing in the quality of product It's showing in our bottom line and it's showing up in our bottom line is what convinced me that this has to be part of my being part of my fabric. And so I am, I, I, I planned to, um, take a week mini sabbatical week or two mini sabbatical every year. And it's just me traveling somewhere by myself this year. I'm going to an archeology span dig out, out in the four corners, which is still a tremendous passion of mine, but I'm going to go dig in the dirt for a week. Mm. and not take my laptop and not think about work. And, and I'll have those 10 days to do a mini sabbatical. And now uh, the question uh, for me, like you were saying is if I don't take this time, I I don't want a repeat of what happened before. And so I now know that, uh, taking time, taking even, even a long weekend, just building breaks into my life and into my Mm -hmm. schedule and building in time to really have thoughtful work really to do, uh, to do thoughtful work is absolutely critical to Bavera's success. That if I am relaxed and I'm feeling whole and I'm taking care of myself, then Bavera will be healthier. And we have a much healthier partnership now. It's yeah. Yeah. It's, you, it's you, I, it when you just said you weren't taking your computer, the, the thought went through my head. Wait, you're not taking your computer. Are you even an American? Like, you know, <laughs> What do you mean you're not taking your computer? But but no, really, for, <laughs> truly. I will take an iPad, but for the, co- for the cost again, examining the cost of not yeah. doing this yes. is the cost is too great. It is. It is. And and I even work with nonprofit executive directors now where they are fighting the urge to use any of their vacation time and they are burnt out because they've burnt the candles at, at both mm-hmm. ends. And I sit down with them and have a bit of a let's walk to Jesus conversation about the return on investment if you burn out versus the return on investment if you take care of yourself and you demonstrate that level of leadership to the rest of the staff, yes. that will improve your organization far, far more than you burning out and you having to leave because you have hit that wall. And so many nonprofit leaders are in that stage where they... Uh, they they feel like that they can't take the time off, but what they don't recognize is that if they don't, then it's damaging to them and their staff and their organization. And so a lot of our uh, a lot of executive mentoring turns into you know what let's let's look at numbers and the return on investment. Literally, let's let's look at the numbers. And yeah. if you were to leave or this staff person left, 
and you know this program didn't happen because you were sick. Um, you know what what does this look like? And we come to the conclusion that yeah, you need to take take that week off and and not think about work for that week. Hundred mm. percent, great point. We uh, we've been talking about you've mentioned the name Bavera mm-hmm. throughout this conversation. So explain briefly what it means and then what your logo is, because I've just found it fascinating when you originally told me this story. So um, Bavera is a Swedish word that means to protect and to keep. And all of our clients are doing that in some capacity. They are protecting and keeping knowledge. They are protecting and keeping their communities. That's, That's core to nonprofit work. Um, and ravens are there because one of our early projects was in Iceland. And we learned about the old Norse legend of Odin and his two ravens, Hugin and Munin. And Hugin and Munin represent thought and memory. And they'd fly around the world every day to learn the news of the day and then bring it back to Odin. Mm. And so when we were, we... Kind of like the the Nor- um, the old internet. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the original internet. The original, <laughs> the OGs. Yes, yes, exactly. I love that. And so uh, we we knew that we wanted. Um, I am I'm a Swedish ancestry. Um, the having a Swedish name is is a nod to my beloved Swedish grandmother. And so I knew that I wanted some other Norse items in the logo. Uh, logo. And we worked with this brilliant ar- artist. Who, when I told him the story of Hugin and Munin, and showed him which you can see on our website, one of the ancient manuscripts that that's in the library in Reykjavik, he made these two beautiful ravens. And the one on the left is Hugin. The one on the right is, is Munin. They don't look exactly the same. One's a little bit different than the other. And they both have, in, in, in our minds here at Bavera, they have personalities. And we. Um, what's been interesting is that since I started the company, and even during my sabbatical, there, there have been times where I see these two ravens and they'll come and land near me. And it's always been at interesting junctions in my life. And so I, I feel this connection now to these two, two birds. And I, I feel very grateful for having taken the sabbatical because uh, it has allowed me to more appreciate our brand, our, our story, our history. Mm-hmm. Um and and not resented, which I was doing in 2018. I mean, I look at at those ravens now, and 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 I'm so grateful that I can look look at them with pride and not be like, oh God, this is I have to go to work again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which yeah, I mean that can happen with your own company, not just when you're yeah. working for someone else. Yeah. What? Uh, so, do you dance with the ravens? What's your hype song? So my hype song <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is Unstoppable by Sia. And, um, I, I, I do dance when that comes on. Usually in the morning, I'll take a shower while I'm getting ready there. That song, I, I can't help but not move. So I, yeah, it's I'm, a good I'm one. a big proponent of, of just getting moving and, and just feeling it. And, uh, that, that, I, I, that song has been my hype song for the last 18 months since I restarted at Bavero. That's, that's on a constant, uh, a rotation. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. If someone wants to continue a conversation with you, how would they do that? Well, uh, they can go to our website, which is www.baveraweb.com, which is B-E-V-A-R-A web.com. Or they can uh, email at hello at baveraweb.com. Uh, okay. 
and uh, they can find us that way. All right. Fantastic. I will put a link to that in the show notes, as well as a link, as I always do, to the hype song. So Wonderful. people want to yeah. get up and dance to that because that yeah. is a good one. It is. It is a great one. That that will turn your mood around by by the end of that song. It is a yeah. good, good female power song. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Stephanie Joy Muscat on Fun is a Four-Letter Word. Thank you. Stephanie talked about having to force herself to take time to recharge. It sounds crazy when you say that out loud, but almost everyone I've talked to about this concept feels the same way. And once you do make yourself take time regularly, you'll see the ROI on that recharging time is extremely high. Here are today's key takeaways. Number one, so many people get stuck feeling like things must be done a certain way. Sometimes, often, the only way to get started is to just start. Let it be messy. You can clean things up along the way. Number two, you might think that taking a sabbatical is a luxury you can't afford. Well, guess what? A sabbatical doesn't mean you have to stop working. It's taking a break from your daily life and giving yourself the space to recharge and re-examine your life. That could mean changing the type of work you do. Number three, you can't operate a business that doesn't align with your core values. The only way that's going to play out is in burnout. The point of being a business owner is being able to do things on your own terms. So be okay with saying no to things that aren't a good fit. And don't let anyone else tell you how to do it. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.